everybody. First off, thank you so much for coming. I know it's a busy day in the thank summer you. and it's hot outside, so I actually really appreciate your trekking all the way here. And thank you to the Kesri family and Sally and Rachel and everyone for organizing this class to Flatbush Lishma Committee, Amy and Sarah and everybody else who's involved. This class is actually um, dedicated in honor of Nancy and Gabby Kesri. So really, thank you. It's so nice that you also opened up your home. A home that's filled with Torah is amazing. And it's also for the Refuah of Chaya Sarah Bat Simcha. I must say that when Amy and uh, Sarah emailed me a list of topics to choose from in Tehillim, I never really reply to my emails right away. I'm sometimes a little bit slow at replying. But this one, I'm like, no, I'm going to get the topic I want. Right away, I responded to gratitude. I'm like, this is an easy topic. It's really everywhere. It's replete in all the Mizmore, lots of Mizmore Tehillim. So before we actually head into the text itself, I want to ask you guys, what does the word gratitude mean to you? And you're not allowed to use the word thanks in your answer, because I don't know what thanks means. That word can't work either, okay? So without using the word gratitude, without using the word thanks, what do those words actually mean? And this is going to be an interactive class, so... Someone suggest something. Grateful. Being grateful. Good. Any other ideas? Good. Appreciation. I like that word also. Anyone have some any other thoughts or anything like that? No? Are we sticking just to appreciation and just to being grateful? Or is there anything else? Good. Showing respect. That could be involved in there too. Anything else? Yes. Valuing things. Good. Valuing things. Any other ideas that those words bring up? Yes. Happiness and content. Good. I really like that. Happiness and contentment. Good. A sense of peace. This is going to be really cool. You guys are building basically on every source, which is what I'm going to be trying to prove throughout the class. Any other ideas that come to mind? Yes, Jacqueline. Maybe acknowledging that everything you have is from the Creator. Good. Acknowledging that everything is from the Creator. Anything else? Did we cover everything? This is actually a very smart room. I think you might have actually brought up almost all the points that I want to try to develop over the class, um, over the course of the next hour or so. And if I'm speaking too fast, you can let me know. This class is going to primarily be based in Sefer Tehillim, but because Tanakh cannot be learned in a bubble, and because the author of Tehillim expects you to know background information from Chumash, just by a sense of hands, if I would ask you your background knowledge on the Korbanot, how do you feel about it? Do you feel you need like a three-minute refresher, or are you good? Refresher, refresher, refresher. <laughs> Everyone says refresher. No one's good? Come on. I know some of you guys feel good about it. No, no one? Okay, <laughs> let's start here. Korbanot, which are the sacrifices, can be brought for different reasons. Either you can bring a voluntary offering, or you can bring this offering because you're obligated, there's a chovah for you to bring it. When Sefer Vayikra opens, which is the book where we find really primarily the korbanot listed, anyone know the ordering of how the korbanot are listed in Vayikra? And this order is going to be very important. Anyone know? Not at all. Time no one? Time for the refresher. Okay. If you were in my class in high school, 
I promise you would know this. Korban Olah, Perek Aleph, Mincha is Beth. So you start with the Olah, then you go to the Mincha, then you go to the Shlamim, then you go to the Korban Chatat and the Korban Asham, which are like the sin and guilt offerings. That's in Prakim Aleph through He. So it's Olah, Mincha, Shlamim, which are... Olah, Mincha, Shlamim, those are voluntary Korbanot. So the ideal is to bring what type of korban? Voluntary. It shouldn't be because we have to. It shouldn't be because our teachers told us to. Because our parents made us. It should be because we want to. That's the ideal way to get close to God, is by wanting to do something, a voluntary sacrifice. And that's why the korbanot and sefer vayikra begin with the voluntary ones. But then, sometimes, situations necessitate themselves that we need to do something. We have an obligation to do it. And that's going to be the chatat and the asham. But when the korbanot are listed again in Prakim Vav and Zion, they take a different order. Now, I'm reminding you of the first order. Actually, let's see if you remember. What did I just say? What did it start with? Ola. Yeah, voluntary first, which is what? Ola, mincha, shlami. Good. Then, what are the obligatory korbanot? Chatad and Asham. Good. It's a smart audience. Then the Korbanot switch. And in Prakim Vav and Zion, when we're speaking um, to the Kohanim, they take a different order. And I'm going to say the order, unless does anyone here know the order that they switch to? No? They switch to this order, but you tell me what moved its position, okay? I'm going to say it slowly. I want to see if you can figure it out. Ola. Mincha, chatat asham shlamim. Wow, what happened to shlamim? I'm incriminating you now. What happened to shlamim? It moved to the last. Wait, why did the korban shlamim bump down? See, you have to know that in Prakim Vav and Zion, we're going to be talking to the Kohanim. And we're going to be talking about the Kiddushah that each korban has. Now, here's what's interesting. When it comes to the Ola, the Mincha, the Chatat, and the Asham, those korbanot are known as the Kodsheh Kadashim. That means those korbanot are the holiest of the holies, which means a few things. Anyone know what ramifications that has? If a korban is the holiest type, what difference does it make? Anyone know? Okay, so if the Baal, if the owner of the Korban is able to eat from it, you wouldn't be able to eat from it if it's the Holy of Holies Korbanot. Why not? Who would only be able to have it? Hashem, the Mizbeach, or who else? Kohanim, who are, um, you know, they are uh, Kiddushah, they represent Kiddushah. But if a Korban is what's known as, so it matters who can eat it, and how long you have to eat it. Now, I know it seems like I'm boring you with these intricate details. I promise you they're going to become so fundamental. Paying attention to intricate details is going to give you a light into the big picture on things. So again, when it comes to Kodshe Kadashim, man himself cannot eat it. Only the Kohanim, only the Mizbeach, only God gets it. And when it comes to the holier Korbanot, you have 
a very limited time to eat it. Anyone know how long you have to eat the korban? Details, when you read Parashat HaShavuah. Anyone know? So you're close. You actually have from the day, from the time that you sacrifice the korban through that night, when you wake up in the morning at sunrise, you can no longer eat from the korban. So you have the day you offered it, followed by that night. Now, if I turn to the lighter sanctity korbanot, the lower form of sanctity, kadashim kalim, what are the two main differences? And which korban is the korban of lower sanctity that got bumped down? Shlamim, which is going to be the one that we're going to be talking about, which is connected to todah. Okay, so I'm going to get there in a second. Give me a minute, but I promise I'm going to get there. When I get to the text, I will. So when it comes to the korban shlamim, that's a lower level of sanctity. And typically, those korbanot, how long do you have to eat them? More time or less time? What's your gut feeling? More. More. So you have the day you offered it, the night, followed by the next day. In addition, who can eat from it? The Baal can partake from it. Other people, and not just who? The Kohen. Not just the Kohen, and not just God getting it from the Mizbeach. Now, we're about to open our text, and I'm going to address your brilliant question that I love that you're rooted in the text. So let's go. We're going to go to our first source, and we're going to look in the sources and see what the text tells me in Perak Zion, so we know that we're already talking about the lower level of sanctity type of korbanot. And it opens up with the one that we expect. What is it? Which korban from the list does this text open up with in Perek Zayin Pasukir Which one? Shlamim. And I'm going to ask you, what does the korban shlamim mean? What's the meaning of the word shlamim? What's the root word of shlamim? Good. So there's three options. So one option means you feel shalem. What does shalem mean? Complete, whole, things are perfect, things seem great, things are good, and that's how you feel. That's one option. What else could it mean? Good. Shalamim could come from the word shalom. Now why would shalamim mean shalom? Let's talk about it. Usually in a korban, who gets it? The kohen. So he'll get the chazeh and the shok, right? He'll get those parts of the korban, the, the breast and the thigh. What about, who else will get a part of the korban? God, right? He'll get the fats. And then, when it comes to shlamim, man gets to have the rest of the korban, the rest of the meat. So why is it shalom? Why does the korban shlamim represent shalom, which means peace? Why would it represent peace? Everybody's getting it, right? God, Kohanim, and also man. That's a second option of what Shlamim can mean. So peace or Shalem. Anyone have another idea of what Shlamim can mean? I'll I'll give you a hint. You go to the store and you have to lishalem. You have to pay. Why would Shlamim be called to pay? Because maybe a person took a vow and he's bringing this korban to pay back for his vow or something to that effect. The Rashbam actually has that approach. So we have the korban shlamim. Now within the korban shlamim, and I promise in one minute all the details are going to all come significant. So don't worry that I bored you for this first 10 minutes. They're all needed. 
Um, so when it comes to the Korban Shlamim, we actually have two different, well, a few different types, but two primary types that this section is going to be dealing with. I, I only put the, the Pesukim for the one I care about, which is Todah. So there could be a Korban Shlamim that's brought as a Korban Todah. Now, what does the word Todah mean? Hoda'ah, thanks. So you're bringing <clears throat> gratitude, right? We're bringing a korban as a form of thanks, as a form of gratitude, as a form of showing our appreciation. But there's also shlamim that are just brought, not necessarily for todah, but they're brought as um, to fill your neder, to fill a vow or a promise you made, or because the congregation has to bring shalmei bor. There's different types. Okay, but here... The main one that we're going to be addressing is the Korban Todah. So let's look at the Pesukim carefully. You ready? So let's just look just at the first Pasuk and tell me. We now know that what type of Korban are we dealing with? Shlamim. Who are we bringing it to? To Hashem. And now I am told in Pasuk Yudbet the type of Korban Shlamim. Im al Todah. Yakrivenu. What's the purpose of this type of korban? It's a todah. Now I told you that todah means what? Thanks, gratitude. Todah could actually come from the word of vidoy, which would mean what? We're going to make some type of a confession. We're going to admit to something when we bring the korban. So it might come from that root as well. So this is a gratitude, a thank you korban that might have on it some type of vidoy, some type of confession. Now, I want to just say one more point. Always, when we bring a korban, anyone know for the most part, what are korbanot brought from? Animals! It's meat! We're carnivores here, right? This is what it is. We're bringing animals. Besides, the korban mincha is actually going to be a flower offering, but when we bring korbanot, we don't usually bring carbohydrates. We bring the meat. We bring the protein. So let's look at this korban and let's see what's shocking when I look at the korban todah. Imal todah yakrivenu. Can anyone tell me based on pasuk yibet, how many different kinds of carbohydrates are we bringing with this korban? I'll number them. You tell me what you think they mean. You can look at the English. Chalot matzot bilulot bashemen. One. How many different types? Three. Actually, the Mishnayot tell us it's ten of each type. Now, just to give you a perspective on how many cups of flour we're talking about, we're basically talking about, I don't know if you're Bosch mixers, you fancy people who have Bosch mixers or magic pills or whatever kind of devices you use, because I'm horrible, I don't make my own color, but... This is like 300 cups of flour, maybe even 440, some say. This is a massive, exorbitant amount of challah. I, don't, I can't even think of doing it like that. I don't even ask you or anyone who bakes challah. How many challahs do they make? Do they make 440 cups? I need to ask her because that's just so much time. So you're bringing three different types of... These are actually from matzah. Right? Like halot, matzot. These are predominantly three different matzah types. Ten of each. So it's 30 matzot. In addition, in Pasuk Yud Gimel, what are you also bringing? Halot lechem chametz. What are you also bringing? 
chametz. What's the rule when it comes to the mizbeach and when it comes to korbanot with chametz? Who knows? Never, ever, 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 ever put chametz on the mizbeach. You're not allowed. Chametz is not allowed to come in the vicinity of the mizbeach, which makes the reader go, huh? You're bringing chametz with this korban? Now, you could breathe. The chametz doesn't actually get put onto the mizbeach, but you have to bring it with the korban. So, like, the reader's tricked. It's like, why chametz? Chametz is like a sin. You can't bring chametz on the altar. It's not allowed. So what's going on here? So you have to put chametz on the mizbeach, and ten of, so 30 of the matzahs, 10 of the chametz. Now, what do you then do? You take one from each of the types, so one from matzah type one, matzah type two, matzah type three, and you give it to who? Who do you think you're going to give it to? The Kohen. And you take one from the chametz one, you give it to the Kohen. So how many do the math? How many does the chametz, uh, does the Kohen get in all? Four. Four. Which means how many of the carbs, how many of the lachmet toda, how many of the breads does the owner get to eat? Thirty-six. Now, here's what's shocking. What did we say about the details? Let's see if I taught you well. When it comes to shlamim, how long should one usually have to eat the shlamim? The day, the night, and then the next day. Look at the pasuk over here in pasuk tetvav and tell me what's shocking. What does the pasuk say? Ubsar zevach todat shlama beyom yom korbano yachel lo yaniach mimenu ad boker. What's the rule? You are not allowed to eat it the next day. Which brings a massive question. What's the question that's sitting on everyone's mind? What? This is a shlamim. This is supposed to be the one that's kadashim kalim. We're supposed to have extra time to eat it. And not only that, it's supposed to be what? Mine. I'm supposed to get a part of it. And is it ever supposed to have carbs with it? No. So wait, we're making a person add more to the korban and give what? Less time that he could consume it. Who could tell me why do you think this is the case? That he shares and invites people. Good. The whole point of this korban is todah. What's the goal that you're going to make a si'udat hoda'ah? Anyone ever went through, God forbid, like something, um, you know, somebody was healed from a situation or whatever, but afterwards, what do you do? You make a meal, a thank you meal and you celebrate. This is the goal of the shlamim. That's a todah form of shlamim. What's the goal? Make a party. Share it with other people. You have so much of an excess that there's no way that you can eat it all yourself. You have to have other people who come to share it. And what do you suppose is going to happen at that meal? What do you think I'm going to be talking about if I'm the recipient of this great kindness that God has bestowed upon me? What do you think I'm going to be sharing at the meal? Um, how amazing God is. You cannot understand. And what's the goal of that? What's the goal of me talking about? You don't know what God just did for me. My, my mother, God forbid, was so sick, or my friend, or my this. And, and, and what happens? He saves her. And now what? What does that make the 
people that are in your room, in your party feel more of an appreciation for God. So the goal of the Korban Todah is not just for who? For the person himself. That's not gratitude. What is gratitude according to the Torah? Sharing with other people so that they feel what? Gratitude too. Meaning that's what gratitude is in the earliest form here in it. And that was my introduction. I'm horrible with time, but it's so necessary for you to understand. Now, just to prove it, the Sforno says over here, so what's with the chametz and what's with the matzah? Why, why, do, we, why do we bring the chametz? Anyone know what does chametz represent? Doesn't it represent the ego? Look, right. chametz represents seor What does that mean? The ego that a person has. When does a person have bread? When it's the finished product, right? It went through all the stages in, uh, in development and you've got the end product. So what does a person feel when they have chametz? Inflated, puffed up, ego. So what do we bring to compensate for that? What do we bring in this korban todah on purpose? What do we bring? The see, the mizbeach doesn't want ego. That's why chametz can't go on the mizbeach. So wait, why here for the korban todah do we specifically bring chametz? Because when is this korban todah offered? After a person went through something, you know, some type of big miracle happened to him, he was sick and he was saved, or something to that effect, you traveled on an airplane, whatever it was that you did that was a big miracle, and you feel so much gratitude. So at the end, are you feeling good now? Do you feel like chametz now? Yes or no? Do you have the end product? Are you shalem? Do you feel better now? Yeah. Why bring 30 matzahs then? Why more matzah? Then chametz. What's the idea here? To remember why you're here. Exactly. The matzah is the lechem oni. It's the bread of affliction. It's the thing that didn't have the time to get through all of its stages of development. So what are we bringing more of in this korban? The, the more of the matzah. Why? They teach what? Humility. Humility. Be humble. Don't always, you know... Think it's all about you, and life only revolves around you. You're missing the whole purpose here, right? There's more of the matzah than there is the chametz. There's 30 of the matzah, but there's still the chametz there, because what does the Torah want to show us? Do we feel complete now? We do, but don't let that completeness give you a seor shabaisa. Don't let that completeness give you an ego. Let it let you remain humble. Yes? Also, be that you're, to remember that you're completely 100%. from something you did and to remember oh. that it's from Hashem. Exactly. Exactly, but we're going to see it in the last source. Deal? Could you remind me of it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, if you, um, one more thing, which is just the Rashi over here, actually tells us who brings the Korban Toda. He lists Devar Hoda'a al Nes Shina'asela, or Na'asa, I can't even see. How many different types of individuals does Rashi list? And who could tell me who they are? How many types of people have to bring a korban todah? There's actually not five, there's four. What's the first one? 
Yorday Hayam. Who's that? Somebody who traveled in a cruise across the sea or anything like that. Someone who went across the sea. Who else has to bring a korban todah? Someone who went through the desert. Why the desert? It's hot. Come on, it's today, right? We, we don't feel like we're in the desert now, but if we were outside, we may feel like we're in the desert. It's hot. Chabushay bet ha'asurim. Who's that? People who were released from prison. And Cholesh Nitrape, who's that fourth individual? A sick person who was healed. So Rashi gives four people, but he adds the most strange word. Sirichin lehodot. Who could help me? Why am I bothered by one of Rashi's words? We just said that what is the Korban Shlamim? Voluntary offering. What word of Rashi doesn't make any sense in that equation? Sarich, why not? What does the word sarich mean? You need to bring it. Why do you think Rashi, who's built off of the Gemara, does that? Why does he change this gorgeous voluntary korban, toda, and say, no, these four people, they have to bring it. Why would he do that? I don't have an idea. Why would he change it? Why would he make it um, obligatory? Isn't voluntary so much nicer? Like the student who does it just because they want to do it, not because I told them, you have to copy over. Maybe because he wants them to show everybody else what he went through and then Hashem pulled them through. Could be. Or maybe because there's some people that unfortunately, what? They don't think it's Hashem. They won't do it. So what do we do? Rashi is basically saying, and the Gemara is basically saying, gratitude is necessary. In an ideal state, what should happen? You get to that point on your own. But for the people who aren't going to get there, what are we going to do? You have to do it. You know, The ideal isn't that you should have to. You should do it on your own. Now, Rashi is actually... Skip the bottom source for a second and I'll get back to it. Rashi is actually built off of a famous Mizmor, which anyone know Mizmor Kuf Zion, Hodu la Hashem Kitov, Kile Olam Chasto, Yomeru Geulei Hashem Asher Gealam Miyad Sar, Umaratsoki Vitsam, Umizrach, Umarab, Mitzafon, Umiyam. Anyone know when we say this Mizmor? Do we? I didn't think so. I think we say it on Pesach, like Arbid and Shacharit of Pesach. Which makes sense, because if you look in this Mizmor, I kind of cheated for you. I would actually never do this in a high school classroom. Make my students work hard, but I didn't know the time. Tell me the time. <laughs> how much time do I even have left? I didn't know how much time we'd have, so what? I have time? I have time? Okay, good. So I have time. Yay. Time is always the, the worst enemy. When you're a teacher, the clock is the worst enemy. My worst enemy, at least. I could just go on and on and on. My poor students, like, after the... No, 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 no. Just one more point, write it down. You didn't know it. <laughs> You're like, we're out of here, Mr. Auntie. We're out of here. Okay, so what I actually did for you was I cheated for you. The Mizmor has different parts, which is the first box is basically the introduction, which are these are the people, Hodu la Hashem Kitov Kilo Lam Chasto. What is the word Hodu? What do you think it means here? These are the people who need to show their gratitude, their appreciation, their thanks to God. Because they were Geulei Hashem. What does that mean? They were redeemed from a tsar. What is a tsar? A tsara. What is a tsara? A trouble. Now, 
What does the text then do in each of the four boxes that follow it? They go through another type of individual who has to show thanks. So let's do box one. Actually, huh, we have the time. You could do it. Who could tell me, based on the Rashi, those four individuals that we saw, which is box one here, Ta'uba Midbar? What is that box referring to? Which, which person? Good. It's referring to the second one, Holchei Midbarot, right? The people who go through the desert. Now, what are we told over here? They're going through an ear, Moshav, Lomatzau. They can't find any settlement. They're Ra'ev and Sameh. What does that even mean? They feel what? Hungry, thirsty. And what do they do because they're in a good situation or a bad situation? They're in a bad situation. What does this individual do? He cries out to God. So when is he crying out to God? When things are what? Bad. What does the text then say in Pasuk Zion? Vayadrichem b'derech yeshara lalechet el ir moshav. How is this the complete undoing of the state he was in prior? Where was he before? In Pasuk Dalet we saw what? Ir moshav lo matzau. Did he see people? Was he in a place with civilization? No. What did God do for him? God brought him to an ir moshav to people. And what else do you think God gave him? Food, water, everything good. And what does the text say? Yodu lahashem chasto adam. What must the person do now? Thank God again. Thank God. When things are what? Good. Good. Don't think that God is just somebody that we call on the telephone when what? When we need him. Right? The friend that you call just when you need the notes before the test. That's not what he is, right? He's not that person. God is also the person that you need to acknowledge when what? When things are good. Now, who can tell me, based on what we said with the Korban Shlamim, what does Pasuk Chet add? Now, I'm going to try to read it dramatically, but you tell me what you think you get from it. Yodu lahashem chasdo v'nifleotav libnei adam. What do you hear? It's plural. Okay, so you'll do, you need to express thanks to who? To God. Thank you! Exactly, exactly, exactly. Is it enough for you to just have a dialogue with God? Yes or no? Is that what gratitude is according to the Shlamim? Yes or no? No. You can't just bring your korban todah and say goodbye, and say that's it. What does gratitude also mean in the Torah? Publicizing the great and good that God did to other people. How do we see both elements in the pasuk? Which part of the pasuk does the first half represent? I mean, which, which lesson does the first half of the pasuk represent? Yodu Hashem chasto. Who is that dialogue between? Man and God. But what does the second half of the verse say? Mm-hmm. What do you then need to continue to do? Publicize that miracle to other people. Now, if you turn back to the page before, I just want to show you this. 
in something that we say in Hallel, which is actually was more of Tehillim. So this actually all worked out gorgeous. Did this ever bother you when you say Hallel, this problem? Did this ever come up in your mind? Lecha ezbach zevach todam, on the bottom where it says Tehillim, Kuftet Zayin, on the bottom of page one, if you could find me there. Lecha ezbach zevach todah, ubeshem Hashem ekra. Nidarai lahashem ashalem, negdana lecholamo. Bechatzrot bet Hashem, betochechi Yerushalayim, hallelujah. I kind of cheated here for you, and I made everything black that's parallel to each other. What do all the blacks have in common? Lecha ezbach zebach toda. Nidarai lahashem ashalem. Bechatzrot bet Hashem. What element of the Korban Shlamim does the black, bolded part of the Pasuk represent? Our obligation to show what? Our gratitude to God. But what about the second part of the Pasuk? Ubeshem Hashem Ekra, Negdana Lechol Amo, Betochechi Yerushalayim. Not just the people who are in the Bet HaMikdash and the Chatzer. What do the non-bolded parts represent? What element of the Korban Todah? The Si'udah, the publicity and, uh, uh, for our gratitude of God. So again, summarize for me. What elements did we learn so far about the, specifically the Korban Todah of the Korban Shlamim type? What did we learn? Who could give me a one-second synopsis? Anyone want to try? What did we learn? Or did we learn nothing? <laughs> that, that actually, we didn't learn anything. What did we learn about the Korban Todah? Amazing. And now, just to show you even further, if you turn to page two, Ms. Markup Science, so we did the Midbar one. What is box two? Who's represented? Sorry, it's actually box three. Yoshevech, Choshech, Vitzalmavet, Asire, Oni, Ubarzel. Who would that one be? That's the prisoners, right? And again, what does the text tell me? Vayiza Kuel Hashem Batsar Lahem in Mitzukotehem Yoshiem. What do the prisoners do? They call out to God when what? They're imprisoned. And what do they need to do when they get out from prison? Thank God. In other words, is it enough to just call out to God in a time of distress? No, that's not okay. Call out to God in a time when things are good for you too and publicize that miracle as well. Now, what about on page three? We now have this one. This is the hardest one. Let's see if you can figure it out. Pesukim Yud Zayin through Chafbet. Which of the four people who need to bring a korban toda is this person? Good. This is the Cholesh Shemitrapeh. And once again, did he call out to God when things were bad for him? Yup. And does he have to thank God when things are good for him? He does. And who is the fourth and final um, individual that's listed here? Now, if you were in Gemara class, I would hope that you would ask me a really good question based on Rashi and the order of Tehillim. Who has a really good question? Yeah. 
the whole point they're getting across is that you're supposed to ask Malaya to God not only when you're in bad times, but also in good times. So why is the traveler the last one? But I actually think the traveler is in distress because think about what happens not not nowadays because now we're in these big cruise ships. I'm thinking in, I'm thinking I'm going to camp next week. I'm thinking what happens in camp when it rains and the kids are on the schmutz. What does that mean just for your lives? It means that the marim are never off in camp. Torah never shuts down. Even in pouring rain, we travel to the kids who might be far away. So that means that yours truly needs to get on a little paddle boat and sail to the other side where the campers are in the rain, in the any type of weathers that we may have. So so it's not so safe. It happened once before where it was thundering on me. I'm like, I I don't even know how to roll so well. <laughs> I literally don't know how to roll. <laughs> it's not so safe. The yam isn't so safe. But who could tell me something else that you notice? Yeah. So I'm just wondering, is the only um, interesting that... Oh, love that question. Mm-hmm. So first of all, Rashi, Shulchan Aruch, everyone goes on to say, nope, it's anyone who was in distress. So that means today you're flying on an airplane. Um, I don't know, you were almost hit by a car. Yeah, you give, by the way, you give birth is actually, my husband told me after I gave birth, Annie, you need to go and do Birkata Gomel, which today is the equivalent of bringing a korban toda, un shalma parim spatenu. What do we do in place of korbanot? We do tzfilot. So nowadays, saying Birkata Gomel is our form of a korban toda, and it's not just those four. I thought you guys would ask me something else. The order! How does Rashi, who's quoting Aaron as more of Tilim, do a different order? What does Rashi put first? Yam. Yam and then what? Mizbar. Is that the order that it is in our text? Mizbar is what? Last. Okay, so, so that Tosafot actually says Rashi goes in order of what's most dangerous to least dangerous. Um, but... I don't even like that answer so much. I think we could use the text itself. I don't know if you noticed when I was reading, there's kind of a difference between Vayitz'aku and Vayiz'aku. Vayitz'aku, Vayitz'aku. So the text actually goes Vayitz'aku, Vayiz'aku, Vayiz'aku, Vayitz'aku. Which means that really, if you follow the language of how you're calling with a Z'aka or a Z'aka, it shows you the pairs. Yordei Hayam and Hochei Midbar. Why does Rashi put those together? Those are people who are what? Traveling, right? Those are people who maybe, in a voluntary sense, need, they traveled. You don't have to travel, right? But what about the other two? It's involuntary, right? Uh, you're sick, you, you, you get locked up in prison or something like that. It's not necessarily something that you wanted to happen to you. You definitely didn't want that to happen. What is the message then? What is this teaching us then? Whether the distress is coming from what? What you chose or what you didn't choose. What do you have to do? Bring a korban. Say thank you. You have to always say thank you. It doesn't matter what caused the distress. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you... Recognize God, not just when things are bad for you, but when things are good for you too. Do we still have a few minutes? Five minutes? Hey, what's my time frame? I don't know when we started. I go on for hours. What? I have like 10 minutes? Okay, good. 
Perfect. So that actually brings me to the final page, which is the page that I actually wanted to spend the most amount of time with, because this is a mizmor that we say every single day. Anyone know when we say this mizmor of Tehillim? We say it after Baruch She'amar, right? In Pesukei Vezimra, in our morning prayers in Shachari, every single day, but when don't we say it? Anyone know? When don't we say it? I'm getting this? Yeah! Good for you. I was going to say, because you go to shul on Shabbat, so you realize. It's like, I'm, not, I'm guilty. I don't always go to shul on Shabbat. I'm so bad. I'm like, dealing with the meal. <laughs> so you might not realize if you don't go to shul on Shabbat. But this is the Mizmor Latoda. Now, here's what's so cool. It's going to take all the elements of what we just said and put it into a... Um, into a Mizmor of Tehillim that we read every single day. And let's start together. This Mizmor has a heading. It's what's known as a Koteret. Can anyone tell me which words on Tehillim Kuf do you think is the heading for the Mizmor? Good. Mizmor Litoda. Who wants to be brave and translate the heading for me? Based on what we did, what do you think Mizmor Litoda means? A song. A song to say. Good. I love it. A song to say what? Toda, to say toda. To say thanks. Wait. So now just look at the way the Targum translates it and Rashi. What do both of them say? Shivacha al korban todeta or hodaya omro al ha toda. What do they say? It's a song that you say alongside what? Korban. The Korban Toda. When do you think the person said this song? Is this the part that he's going to say between him and God? Or is this what he's saying at the Seudat Hoda'a that he's making with the carbohydrates and the excess of meat that he has in the short, constricted time frame with which to eat it? What do you think? The former or the latter? latter. The latter. This is what the individual would say at his public meal after he was the recipient of being saved. He was a Geulei Hashem. He was somebody that was redeemed from God. But look at the way Radak and Malbim translate it. And I love the way they, I personally love the way that they say it. Perusho shetodulo al hachesed she'asayimachem al hoda'a shel nes. How do Radak and Malbim differ from Rashi and the Targum? Who can tell me? Okay, that very well could be. I was going to say something different, which is they don't mention what? The korban. The korban, right? These mifarshim, they don't say that this is something that is said alongside the korban todah. They just say this is what you say when you feel Hashem's kindness, when you feel the nisim, the miracles that God does. Or can I use my own expression here? Forgive me. Maybe what they're thinking of and what they knew of is something that we say every day in our Amidah. Anyone know what I'm referring to? Modim anachnulach. In that paragraph of the Amidah, what do we say? Al nisecha, fill in the rest. Shebechol. This is the part I want. Shebechol what? 
Yeah, and what do we basically tell God? Shebechol, right, you're with us every single day. In other words, what are we thanking God for in the Modim? What are we thanking God for? The, the everyday miracles. In other words, is it just about, I was in jail? I mean, thank God I could honestly say, I don't think that happened to us here. And hopefully we're not a cholesh in and we're not somebody who's stuck in a stormy sea with boats flipping upside down or traversing across the desert in a terrible situation. But what do we encounter every day in our lives? Miracles. They may not be the big miracles, but what are they? The small miracles. What does the Radak and the Malbim say we need to do? Thank God daily. So with this, I want to ask you, why did the rabbis, why did Ansheha Knesset Agdullah add this paragraph specifically to the start of our Pesukei de Zimra after Baruch Shamar? Why add this one? What are the rabbis teaching us? How should you view your tefillah, your ability to pray? Whatever you're saying, how should you view it? What should you be thinking? What should your mind frame be? I'm so lucky that I'm able to talk and express my thanks to you, God. I'm so lucky that I had my, you know, ability to communicate with you and that you're involved in my life every day. It's the everyday miracles that we're thanking God for. And how does the Mizmor go on? Hashem kol Hashem for those who are really good in Hebrew or English, who can tell me how many call-outs, how many verbs do we have in this Mizmor? What are the things that we're supposed to be doing? Say me then. Hadiyu. What does that mean? Shout to God. What's the next one? Ivdu. Serve Hashem. What's the next one we have? Bo'u lefanav. Come to him. Di'u. Then what do I have? What's the next one? Bo'u. And then what? Hodu and baruchu. In total, how many different call-outs to God do we have in the Mizmor? Seven. Now, here's what's pretty cool. If you want to use this division, there are different divisions of this Mizmor. I read Rav Sam. It doesn't agree with me, but he also doesn't agree with the Masoretic text, so I don't feel comfortable to, to teach that here. But the division that I actually saw in the Dat Mikra is to divide the Mizmor like this. Now, if this is the case, you tell me what's cool. Aleph, Mizmor, Toda, just those words are the, the heading. They don't really fit anywhere. But from Hariu la Hashem kol ha'aretz until Bo lefanav yernana, that's part one. Pasuk gimel de'u ki Hashem hu elokim hu asana belo anachno amov etzon marito, that's part two, right? And then what do we have? Part three, Pasukim dalid and hey. Now if, the, if that's the way we divided it, who can tell me? Pesukim, Aleph, and Bet. How many verbs do we have? Three. Three. Skip Gimel for a second. Dalit and Hay, which is part three. How many verbs do we have? Three. Three. 
which means that the centermost pasuk, which is the essence of the entire mizmor, it's the turnaround pasuk, is which one? Gimel. Gimel. Let's read it and you tell me how many verbs are in this one. Di'u ki Hashem hu Elohim hu asanu v'lo anachnu amo v'tzon marito. How many verbs in that one? One. So wait. Three, middle, center of the chiasm, right? Then three. Three, one, three. All pointing to the middle pasuk. Why is the middle pasuk the essence? What is this all based on? De'u. Let's translate it. Ki Hashem hu Elohim. What do we have to know? Know that God is the Elohim. Now here is the way God is different than all non-Jewish gods. How is a non-Jewish God different than our God? Hu asanu v'lo anachnu. How are we, how is our relationship to God, Yudke Vavke, different than Elohim Acherim? How is it different? Because God created us unlike the idols where we created them. Right. In other words, the idols did not create the people who worship them. But God created everyone in this universe. In other words, Hashem Elohim. He's not like any other Elohim. He's the one who made every single creation. Who Asano? Now, what would those words mean? He made us. And now I go back to your point. He made us. And what is the danger of bringing chametz? of bringing, you know, the final end product on our Mizbeach. What's the danger of the final end product? You might feel what? It's you! It's your ego! You might think, huh? It was my might. It was my strength. I'm rich because I worked hard. I'm smart because I study a ton. How are we to view this? Yeah, obviously, you have to put in the effort and you have to use the talents and the gifts that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you every single day. But what can't you ever do? Think that it's only you. Realize, Velo Anachnu. Now here there's a Kriyuktiv. We read what's in the brackets. So what do we read in the brackets and not the parentheses? What does Velo Anachnu mean? To him. In other words, do we belong to ourselves? Is it just about us? No. We're a creation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now here's what's weird about this Pasuk. I don't know if you thought about it every day when you say it. I'm about to end, but it three more minutes, could I? I started late, it's not fair. I'm always an hour. <laughs> I need the time. Okay, here, what's unusual about this Pasuk? De'u, no. Ki Hashem Hu Elohim. How many things are we supposed to know based on that, what I read so far? No. What should we know? Number one, Hashem Hu Elohim. Number two, Hu Velo Anachnu, right? Number three, we belong to Him, right? Know those three things. Hu Elohim, Hu Asanu, Lo Anachnu. Now, what do you do with these weird words that don't fit? Amo Vitzon Marito. Now, why are those words just hanging? The sheep of his pasture. Know the sheep of his pasture. Why don't those words fit? And we say it every day. I don't even know if we realize that they don't fit. Why don't they fit? Because the other ones are telling us what we should know, right? Know that 
God is Elohim. Know that he made us. We belong to him. This is all what we should know. So, so what do those words mean? Amov son marito. If you look at the Ibn Ezra, Ibn Ezra says something very interesting. He says, Milat amo shava el diu. Who could tell me what that means? That's very hard, but who could figure it out? Milat amo shavu el diu. Shava el diu, right? Where does it go back to? It goes back to the word no, meaning amov itzon marito, the nation, the sheep of his pasture, de'u, meaning that's who should know. In other words, amov itzon marito, the people, the sheep of his pasture, the flock, us, B'nai Israel, what do we need to know? Know our place. Know that God is the God. Know that he's the one who really did everything. He's the one who gave you your strengths. He's the one who gave you your abilities. And with this, I want to just end, but I want to actually take it to our own lives. So from here, we see that from this Mizmore, we see it all stems from us not having an ego. You might have gotten 100 on your test. Okay, God made you smart. You studied very hard. You had that potential. That doesn't mean that a person who got a 70 is any different or any worse. They might have different strengths that you don't acknowledge. Be thankful for any strength and gift that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you. We all have gifts, whether you're rich, whether you're poor. Every single one of us has a gift. And we have to do what with our gifts? Nisecha shebechol yomimana. What do we have to do every day? Say what? Thank you to God for our gifts. And is it enough for us to just say thank you to God to God? No. We need to publicize to the rest of the world. That's what gratitude is in the Torah. Gratitude is saying thank you and getting others to recognize and appreciate the good in their lives too. So a person who's crying and broken and sick and can't see anything good that's taking place in their life, get them to realize what they do have that's good in their lives, right? It's our achrayut to make people appreciate all the good that they have in their lives. That's what Korban Tadai is. So I want to just end with this. So we're in a generation, and thank God we're in a community where there's a lot of good. We have a ton of tzedakah all over the place. Thank God. We have... Very gorgeous buildings. Flapush is stunning. We have smart boards in all of our rooms. We have the latest technology. We've got everything. Our bar mitzvahs, our weddings, our kids' parties. Everything is over the top. And sometimes when we have things like that, what's the danger in it? You forget. Oh, my daughter's friend just made this party and she invited 250 people, but I don't have the money. I can't invite 250 people and I can't rent out the fanciest restaurant in New York and I can't keep up. And what does it start to make me feel? I'm not good enough. I don't have anything. I can. You, no. It's not, we're, we're doing a lot great, but what do we have to do a lot more of? Be appreciative and thankful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for all the good that we have. So how can we raise a generation, and this I'm turning to you, the mothers in the room, how can we raise a generation with children and us as adults who are appreciative, who could recognize the good in everything? What can we do? How can we model that behavior to our our children? Any ideas? I have a few, but what do you have? 
just saying thank you all the time. Okay, good. I was going to say it needs to become part of our culture. Every single night you sit for dinner, you go through and you just, I don't know, write post-its on your wall. Something happens that you're thankful for, you just put a post-it. Like, randomly, we just started going hiking and, like, I start seeing nature. By the way, it's not just for things I have in my house. It's for the beauty that there is in this world. We're appreciative and we... We talk about it with our kids at dinner. And not just once a year on Pesach. What do we do? Right? Every single day we talk about gratitude. What's another way? I was just going to add that Friday nights on the Shabbat table. Um, I make each child, including my husband and myself, um, Something that happened that week. things that they're grateful for that week. Oh. Um, love! And love! Can I come to your Shabbat table? I need to come! And also another thing we do, um, like you said, we have to be model it for them. So I try to do it indirectly also. So for work, walking on Shabbat, I'll tell them, oh, the, the flowers are so pretty. Look at that color. So at first my kids start saying, ma, everything's so pretty. Ma, what's up? And then eventually but then you realize everything I noticed is. that they said, they start saying, ma, look, ma, look. And they yeah. started um, it's true. noticing and pointing these things out. As parents, we could choose the books that we read to our kids, read books that express gratitude, Google it. There's amazing children's books, adult books, middle school books on every level that teach gratitude. We should be giving these types of books to our children. What else could we do? Maybe to like expose them to people that are less fortunate. Yes, I, I like definitely our, think like so that they learn to- passing by like the special children's center event and I stopped the car and I'm like, you see, you see those kids? You know, uh, I had a friend. You are, that you have, you know, uh, love you that have your idea. health, and you have. It's, like true. it's important that they see less fortunate. A hundred percent. I was gonna say I had a friend when she was in. She just had kids. Like literally, they were three years old, and they were having a birthday party. And she would always, you know, like everyone comes to a birthday party with a present. She would always tell her kids at every single party. When you get presents, you take three of your favorite presents, Hazita. She made them take their favorite ones. I might have done for my kids the least favorite presents. But she's like, pick the best ones that you think, and then give them to somebody else who might not have presents. There are small things that we can do every day in our lives that will teach our kids gratitude. And the question is, are we modeling that? And are we getting everyone else to be? I do something small at the end of every year, just because I'm a teacher myself, so I know it's important. I'm, I have my kids write thank you notes to all their teachers. I can't even begin to tell you, teachers write me. I don't at all tell my kids what to say. Trust me, I promise, I don't, I don't dictate to them, it comes from them. So sometimes it just says, thank you, you're the best teacher in first grade there ever was. Okay, that's what they could do at their level. But as they got older, the notes became more sophisticated and like teachers like Mrs. Lachman or whatever, they would write to me saying, I'm still crying, I keep it. You know, at the end of the year, the, the principal of Mag and David wrote to me saying, Mrs. Cher said, oh my, I still have it on my refrigerator, all my kids. It's the small things that we teach our kids to do that make a huge difference. So hopefully today you'll walk away with the message number one. What? You summarize. What can we walk away with? It's important to what? Not just have a relationship to God when what? Things are bad. In times of trouble, when should we have a relationship with God? Always. Always. Every single day, there's what to be appreciative to God for. Every single day, we should be expressing things. It's in our shacharit every day. We don't say it on Shabbat. Why not? The korban todah wasn't offered on Shabbat. And one of the opinions is that we say mizmor la todah in, in uh, place of the korban todah. Okay, so we don't say it on Shabbat, but we should still be on our Shabbat tables todah. 
And we should be publicizing how great God is. We should get our kids to think how amazing it is and how lucky we are. Should I end with one story that I found online? I think it's a powerful story. Do you guys know Yitzhak Perlman? Who is he? He's a very famous violinist. You know the story? Yeah or no? You do? You want to say it? <laughs> uh, you don't want me to put you on, in the, uh, on the spotlight. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I actually um, saw online, so Yitzhak Perlman, you should just know he's somebody who was stricken with polio, right? So even just getting on stage is so difficult for him. He's literally having braces on his legs. He's in crutches. Everything is a struggle. And he appears on stage and everybody's clapping and excited for him to see the music that he's about to play. And he starts to play and all of a sudden, a violin has how many strings? I think four, no? Pretty sure it's four, but I, oh, it's four, right? It's four, it's four, I'll tell you it's four. <laughs> it says four, so. Right, but I should have looked it up myself, a picture. Like, teachers should never lie on what they see online. But he's playing, he's playing the violin, and there's four strings, and he's playing within the first few bars of the song. What happens to one of the strings? This part you can fill in? It snaps. No, what's the problem here? Oh my. You can't play, it's missing a string. What should I do? Now, you would think that what should he do? Walk off the stage. It's all over. Yet what did he do? He continued to play, and he made adjustments, and he was able to figure out the song to sound amazing, that by the end, everyone in the audience was astounded. And this is what he said at the very end. Sometimes it's the artist's task to find out how much beautiful music you can still make with what you have left. Now think about that. What does he mean? Now, I'm taking it with his body. What is he? He's crippled. Somebody might look at him and say, what? He can barely walk. He can't be a famous musician. He can't accomplish greatness. And what does he say? No. There's beautiful music in me. In other words, what? My string might have broken on my violin. Okay, it's a little bump in the road. I might be crippled and I have polio. Is it the end of the world? No. I have so much beautiful music that I can play. And I want to play it. And I want to share it. There's a lot to learn from here. In other words, we can't look at our lives and say, I'm not as, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't get to go on the best vacations to this and this place like my friends do. And I don't get to go on this and this summer program like my friends do. And I don't get, and so therefore, I don't have goodness in my life. Is that true? No. You have a ton of goodness in your life. You could wake up, you could breathe, you could come to a beautiful class that's opened up for Torah, you could learn, you could give back to the community, you can go to special children's center and volunteer, you can go to the million things you can do. Be thankful for it and thank God for it. So really, my hakarat to the to the hosts, thank you so much for allowing me to speak about gratitude. I hope it wasn't so boring. And I hope that you can walk away. Thank you. <laughs>